I don't know um, how many of you are keen on snakes here. I'm guessing there's a few definite no's. I, I always thought I was okay with snakes. It was always spiders. I'm not good with spiders, has to be said. Um, and then a few years ago, I travelled to Borneo with my wife, uh, which was very exciting. And we, um, we were heading upriver to stay with a tribe. Uh, there were actually headhunters, which was a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but we were heading to stay with this tribe of headhunters. And as we were going up the river, enjoying the incredible scenery, the only way into this community was by a river on a longboat. Um, the guide was explaining to us about some of the hazards um, of the jungle and the joys of the jungle. Uh, and mentioned a particular snake. He said, don't touch or don't reach out your hand beyond the boat um, to touch any of the kind of foliage or plants because there are uh, snakes called tree vipers, pit viper, um, that have a head that looks exactly like a leaf. I mean exactly like a leaf. Um, and they can bite you and uh, it can be fatal, he said with a grin as he told us this story. Um, and, and, uh, and sort of said, but you know, there is anti-venom, there, there are a cure. And he said, and he said it, it's about an hour away. We'd have to go there by boat. And I was like, gosh, wow. Um, so how, how quickly does this thing kill you? And he grinned even wide and said, 20 minutes. <laughs> so it was a bit of a nerve-wracking journey, particularly as we then did see some of these um, tree vipers. Enormous things, absolutely incredible. And today we hear in this book from Numbers, this, this account, a rather strange one of this story of snakes referred to by John in the New Testament as well. And it's an important story, actually, because these, these snakes become a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of kind of God's promise to eventually save humanity. And so we're going to briefly look at it just this morning, reflect on it. The book of Numbers, as I'm sure you're aware, tells the story of the nation uh, of Israel's wanderings through the wilderness, the desert, for some 40 years. We've been reflecting on that over recent weeks and this episode um, that we read this morning happened towards the latter stages of that kind of desert wanderings near the end of the 40-year journey. It's not been a smooth one, as we've experienced over recent weeks. It's been a very difficult journey for the people. There have been multiple repeated rebellions, uh, with, and each resulting with horrendous consequences for the people of God and even for Moses. Rebelling against God, moaning, griping, uh, arguing, but finally, the people are closing in on the place where they would at last be able to call home, the promised land, the fulfillment of God's promise, right the way back with Abraham. So fi finally, we hear Israel comes to the border of Edom. Uh, there's a story around Edom, but we won't go into it. But basically, they skirt around the edge of Edom rather than going right the way through uh, kind of in a straight line. And of course, going around always takes longer than going in a straight line. And because of that, guess what? Yes, the people start moaning again about it. They begin to complain about the journey, but they complain about the food and the water. Again, they've done that quite a lot of times. And they begin to complain about Moses. Moses, last week, if you heard my online sermon, you will have heard me explain that last week Moses hit the rock to get water from it when actually God had asked him to speak to the rock. And there was massive consequences for Moses, so much so that actually his action of hitting the rock rather than speaking to it cost him his ability to go into the promised land. It meant that he couldn't go in. Yet another example of rebellion having consequences, the reality that sin has consequences. And this is what we've been seeing in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, where the people just can't stop rebelling. They can't stop moaning. They worship idols. They complain about the water. They complain about the manna. They complain about lack of food. 
They complain about Moses and his leadership endlessly. They complain about water again and again and again. They complain about Moses again and again and again and so on. And here they are complaining about the food and the water again. Instead of trusting God, as they've seen him repeatedly do incredible miracles, instead of recognising his care and his protection, his ongoing journeying with them and sustaining them through what has been, yes, very difficult times, instead of trusting in him, they're looking to turn their backs on God. And again, you know, they're saying, oh, we'd rather go back to slavery, rather go back to Egypt. And I think after reading the books of Exodus and Numbers, it would be really easy for us to ask and to point the finger at them and say, well, how can they argue against God like that? Why are they so stupid? But maybe an equally important question is to ask, well, what about us? How can we? Because, of course, it's easy to criticise the Israelites and to shake our heads in disbelief as we read about their mistakes. But if we're really honest, we too can so easily begin to look like these desert wanderers. In fact, Israel's story, this story of the wilderness account, underlines the foundational biblical truth about all of us, about all humanity, that we've all sinned, we all make mistakes, we all open our mouths and usually put our foot in it, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every person that has ever lived, every person that will ever live, we all sin. Rich, poor, young, old, good people, bad people, Christians, non-Christians, People sin, you sin, I sin, our children sin. Um, It's been said before, hasn't it, that there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. I think we could add another, sin. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isaiah 53.6, a really familiar verse, says this, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all, and fallen short of the glory of God. So, So listen to Israel. We're thirsty, we're hungry, we don't like the food. It's too hot. Why aren't we there yet? It's too far. Which sounds like one of my family holidays, if I'm honest, every year. But yes, the Israelites were terrible sinners, but so are we. So perhaps we maybe get the sin and the consequence thing, But this time we read about this really strange thing with snakes. And it's a really sort of odd story. Snakes were biting them and people were dying. They seem to be in this cycle of constantly sinning, repenting, being forgiven. Sinning, repenting, turning back to God and then being forgiven. And they come to Moses and say, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses does pray for his people. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer brings transformation. That's why we as God's people do pray. God's people in the desert gave no thought to their actions and the resulting consequences before they acted. And we've all been there. All of us so easily fall into things that maybe we didn't really mean it, but we end up regretting it because of the damage it causes. So here they are on the, pro- on the edge of the promised land, but instead of rejoicing and being full of hope and excitement and worship, They're reeling from the consequences of their sin. Their sin is literally killing them, these snakes. And that's what sin does. Their sin and our sin. But thankfully, God is a God of life. And he doesn't forget his promises. They cry out to God and God hears their cry. When they were bitten in their own sin, God answered them and saved his people. But not in the way that we would perhaps expect. This strange thing happens. God tells Moses 
to make a bronze snake, to put it on a stick and hold it up. And those who look at the stick, look at the bronze snake, will live. Which kind of sounds an odd thing. I mean, it almost sounds like a kind of idolatry. So why this snake on a pole? What's going on? Well, partly I think it's about forcing the people to recognize and face their own sinfulness, the consequences of what they've done. But perhaps more so, it's about forcing them to trust God. No, the bronze snake wouldn't save them, but believing what God had said would save them. When the wound of sin was fatal, the only place they could turn to was God. And when we're broken, bruised, battered, scared, fearful, like so many in these current days, the only place we can really go that really endures, that is the true rock, is the God who remembers his promise and saves his people. Which brings us back to John's Gospel. Hundreds of years after this rather unusual episode, a Pharisee comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus is his name. Pharisees were often kind of seen as the self-righteous, religious elite, the ones who knew everything. They were highly religious Jews. They were teachers of it, and they were certain of their own stature and place before God, their own goodness. But, But Nicodemus knew something was missing. He knew that religion wasn't everything. He knew all about religion, but he didn't really feel he knew God. So he slips in, in the dark, at night, to see Jesus when the rest of the Pharisees wouldn't see him. And in his conversation with Jesus, Jesus says this, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I mentioned um, anti-venom kind of earlier on, and to treat snake bites, doctors use anti-venom, where the venom is milked from the kind of um, snake's fangs and injected into really small quantities into a host animal, often a horse or a sheep, to produce antibodies, and those antibodies can then save. It's ironic that for us to have a cure for poison, an animal has to be poisoned. And that's essentially what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here. The son of man, Jesus, is anti-venom. In the same way that the bronze snake was lifted up, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And just like simply seeing the bronze snake didn't cure them, simply knowing about Jesus, well, that's not the cure either. But when the Israelites looked up at that snake, they were looking up with desperate faith that God would, could and would save them. Unable to cure themselves of their own condition, They had to believe that God was willing and had the power to heal. And as they beheld that thing that killed them, God in his mercy would remove the sting of death. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to each of us. When we, with surrendered hearts, look to Jesus, believing that he has the power to save us from our own sin, that he, in hanging on the cross, took the curse and sting of our own sin in his body, we become participants in that new covenant, that new promise, and the cross becomes the symbol of God's saving promise to us. Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin so that we might become righteousness of God. God laid the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, on Jesus, nailed to the wood of the cross and what raised high for the world to see. That's a message of hope For the world, a world that needs to know light and hope in these difficult, challenging days. And for each of us, forgiveness and the power of the cross isn't a one-hit wonder. It's not just something that we're thankful for at one point in our life. 
But actually, we need to understand that probably snakes carried on biting people in the wilderness. And so sin, too, keeps taking nibbles at us. And the power of sin is still at work in the world around us. We need to daily look to the cross to know that message of hope and freedom and peace and joy that we carry within us. That's a message of hope to a world that is struggling in so many ways. I want to pray for us, each of us, that in this season of anxiety and fear, in looking to the cross, we would find comfort, hope and peace, a message that we can take to the world. Let's pray.